Hi, I'm Beth Weddle, former Olympic gymnast, and you are listening to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Season two of the Olympic Mindset Podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. That's what I needed, that's what I wanted, and that's the one thing that was missing from my career. It was just controlling the environment, and then I could only do what I could do. And I, I, I couldn't worry about the expectation of the nation because, to be honest, the expectation for myself was far bigger. Hello, and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. This season is brought to you by Pearson the world's leading learning company. In season two, we welcome several guests from outside of the Olympics. We bring you CEOs and we even bring you a Top Gun pilot. Before I continue, I'd just like to take a second to thank our sponsors, NEHT, Two Simple Software, Hugh and BSI. This week's guest is the amazing Beth Tweddle MBE. Beth is the first female gymnast from Great Britain to win a medal at the European Championships the World Championships and the Olympic Games. Beth has forged a very successful career in media, co-hosting alongside the likes of Gabby Logan, Michael Johnson and Denise Lewis. She also owns her own company, Beth Tweddle Gymnastics, providing care, gymnastics lessons and curriculum for children across the country. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast with the amazing Beth Tweddle. Beth Tweddle, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? It's great to be here. Good, really good, thank you. And obviously, you're at the in-laws at the moment, lots of work going on around you. <laughs> yeah, um, I've, uh, yeah they've, they're having a lot of decorating, so hopefully you won't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that will be fine, Beth. Um, right, now I know we've got very limited time today, so I want to get started straight away with a really meaty question. Now, there will be people listening to today's podcast looking for a career opportunity, looking for a change looking for something new and I know you've reinvented yourself several times from Olympic gymnast into media presenter director of organizations and now you're you know stepping into the world of business so Beth please talk me through your transition from sport into business and the kind of journey that you've gone on so far in in setting your own company up yeah so I mean ultimately gymnastics has been my life um when I was coming towards the end of my career um I actually spoke to Steve Parry, who was an Olympic bronze medal swimmer, um, and he kind of spoke to me. He already had a swimming business set up, and he said, would you like to do something similar with gymnastics? Um, obviously, I don't know what you're thinking about doing when you retire. And to be honest, I hadn't thought a lot about retirement until that conversation, and it was only afterwards I thought, you know what, I love working with children, I love gymnastics, so what a better way to kind of have a career of gymnastics and working with children combined. 
I love that, Beth. Yeah, we touched on purpose quite a lot in season one, and and purpose being the reason behind why we do things, the driving force behind each of us in in career choice or career path. So, Beth, what would you say is the the reason why, the purpose behind setting up Beth Twell Gymnastics? There's about half a million children waiting to do gymnastics because they just can't get into their local club or there's not a facility in the area. I I don't want kids sat on waiting lists. I want children to be able to access gymnastics. If they love it, great. If they don't, do you know what? They've tried it. They can go and try a different sport because that's exactly what I did when I was younger. Um, I tried ballet, I tried swimming, I tried hockey, athletics, horse riding, and gymnastics was the one that just fit. Um, I just loved being able to flip around and I think for my parents it was a safe environment for me to be doing that um because I was very much um a hyperactive child I was always upside down at home um so I think they thought this is a safe environment for her to learn her gymnastics um so we now have three purpose-built sites um about 10 venues such as a school or a leisure center um, and we work with just over five and a half thousand children a week in an after school environment. It still wasn't hitting every child to be able to do gymnastics. And so I had a quick thought and chatted with Steve and we thought the best way to do that is obviously during school time. Um, so we launched our national curriculum product um, where our coaches go into schools. They teach the children gymnastics So the children have a great time, they learn the skills, but also for the teachers, because I think if you speak to most primary school teachers, gymnastics is one of the sports that they're a little bit wary about teaching. It's great to hear that it's been such a success for you, Beth. I'm really, really pleased. You know, you know, I am an advocate of sport. And, you know, quite recently, actually, there was a study conducted, I believe it was in Munich. The results of the study showed that the higher the level of children's physical fitness, the better they can concentrate and the better their health-related quality of life was. Now, I know that probably sounds like common sense to a lot of you, but how often do we not prioritise health and and sport and physical fitness? The amount of different skills that you learn with sport, you'll know yourself. It's not just about the sport that you're learning. It's all of the other skills, whether it's teamwork, friendship, resilience, perseverance. Um, And for me, they're just as important as the sport that they're actually learning that is the point of this podcast it's not just about you know speaking to people that have been extremely successful in in the olympics it's about finding out what fundamentally makes somebody able to kind of compete and and strive to reach that level and can we learn from it we all know the benefits to participate in in team sports the social side of things the friendships you can forge the ability to share and play well with others as well as be competitive when you need to be um (laughs) But what about being an individual athlete, Beth? What are the benefits to participating in an individual sport as opposed to being part of a team? Yeah, but I find even though gymnastics, ultimately, once you're on the apparatus, you are on your own. But day in, day out, I was training with teammates. I was training with a group of people. And that banter, that camaraderie, that support network of having people around you is amazing. And even now that I've retired you kind of look back at that time and think gosh I had such a a fun environment to be training in um and I mean it's slightly different to yourself obviously you did football um 
But I still had that team around me, even though as soon as I put my arm up to the judge, I was on my own. Um, but we still have team events and you still have your teammates there kind of shouting for you. How did you manage that transition then from going from being part of a team, everybody supporting you, maybe feeding off that energy to then all of a sudden you're on your own. And, you know, there's an awful lot of pressure on gymnasts. Uh, we met Auri Kabashian or Huri Kabashian, um, and she was telling us about how one mistake just to mount the bars and you're out. That's your Olympics over. So how do you deal with that pressure? I think you learn to deal with it from a young age. So um, every competition that you're entering, you are gaining experience. You learn how to deal with the nerves. You learn how to kind of take it from the training environment into that competitive environment. And that doesn't just happen in competition. So within the training environment, you coach would try and sort of replicate competitions. You know, you cannot replicate that feeling of walking into a stadium thousands of people shouting your name and that adrenaline buzz the uh, butterflies going you you can't totally replicate it but you can create scenarios that still put you under pressure quite often in the world of work we're starting to see this kind of practice come into play now which has definitely come from sport by the way which is creating a low risk high reward scenario rather than a high risk low reward scenario so basically ensure that there are moments there are opportunities for our processes to be strength tested but by doing so internally and by doing so in a non-threatening kind of non-invasive and almost coaching supportive way it's the highest reward with the lowest risk so in your particular case do you have any examples of how you replicated the scenario that could potentially be high reward with the lowest risk possible in the gym so for example for me um it wasn't just about doing a bar routine it was about doing three in a row or can you do a bar routine with this many deductions, um, as least deductions as possible? So Amanda would create, who was my coach, she would create lots of different challenges because she knew that's how I I worked best. So she got to know me as an individual, what worked, what didn't, and how to challenge me ready for competitions. And again, then with competitions, you noticed it even if you'd had an injury you needed sort of three or four competitions back in just to get back into the rhythm of it so you've touched on something I'm really interested in now particularly as a dad you know we've discussed this a few times now about my, my kids um and the kind of putting barriers in their way obviously you don't want to actively upset your children and obviously I'm really keen not to do that but the example you just gave there of being put under pressure, being forced into situations that replicate, you know, high pressure environments at a young age. Do you think that was key to becoming the person you are today? Or do you think maybe it was too much? Is there a balance? And, you know, advice to me as a dad, how can I kind of replicate that for my kids? So when they're older, they can handle high stress situations, but I don't upset them because I love them. Yeah, I think it's definitely about a balance. And I think ultimately, every individual reacts differently to different situations. So I think that's the one thing that I found with the support of Amanda, with the support of my parents, what worked for me and what worked for other gymnasts. You're not robots, you're not clones of each other. So how how do we create the best environment for that child at that particular moment? And don't get me wrong, what works when they're, 12 years old may not work when they're 18 years old you kind of have to grow 
with the child and adapt your coaching style your um even the way that you interact with them for me I was very much a visual person I I found it really hard to kind of input take in information just by instructions so if I was shown a video or I was shown something I kind of looked at it and thought right how do I get my body to do that um whereas I know for some of my teammates they much preferred verbal instructions kind of the biomechanics of why it happened what works for that child at that moment in time and it's going to be trial and error there's going to be uh, different ways of um working with them and I mean I'm a mum of two now and I've got a three-year-old who's very boisterous um and it's understanding how do I get the best out of her or even just the smallest things how do you allow her to discover the world herself without hurting herself yeah because you don't want to just say don't do it because when I was that old I was literally upside down creating carnage um and I've got my heart in my mouth when I see her do some stuff but ultimately you've got to allow them to work stuff out as well themselves so were your parents quite relaxed then Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they have to say on the topics that matter. From the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. Oh, I think so. I think they had to. I think I was from such, I mean, I was walking at 10 months old um, and just causing, causing carnage. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's such a funny thing isn't it and and I guess it does relate to this the idea that the Olympic mindset can transfer to lots of different things because you know I'm not talking about trying to get Lila and Harriet to be Olympic athletes at all I just want them to be equipped with the skills to live a, a life where they're they're happy they can prosper and they're surrounded by good people and they can recognize good situations without being overwhelmed yeah and I think sport does that in such a great way because participation level sport recreational level sport grassroots level it's all about them having fun if they are walking in they're having fun they're being um challenged to their ability I hear kids walking out of our classes and they're like mom dad or whoever it is that's picked them up guess what I've done for the first time and hearing that satisfaction seeing that smile is just the best feeling you you kind of knowing that you're creating an environment where it's safe to make mistakes if they get it wrong we say don't worry get back up have another go because actually failure is I think failure is sometimes seen as a bad thing and actually failure for a lot of people is is how you learn um, I mean, throughout my career, I had a lot of disappointing results as well as the good results that I had as well. And I think they made me the athlete that I was in the end. I mean, Beijing was 
one of the hardest moments in my career, finishing fourth in the Olympic Games when you were hoping to medal. Um, it took me a while to get over that. And Really? Oh, because from the outside, Beth, you know, finishing fourth at the Olympic Games is, is pretty impressive. You were so young as well, weren't you? Were you, how old were you then? I was 23 in Beijing. And from, I think, don't get me wrong, fourth is an amazing result. But in my head, I had, I'd set myself up to, I want to come home with a medal. So when that result didn't happen, I was really disappointed. Every other result where it hadn't gone my way, I'd I'd be a bear with a sore head for the first 24 hours. Don't talk to me. Why is it always me? Yada, yada, yada. But within 24 hours, I was kind of over it. I was back in the gym. What went wrong? How do I fix it? Let's move on to the next competition. But I think Beijing just hit me so hard. I, I genuinely thought... That was my last Olympics. I didn't think I'd be going to London. At the age of 23? At the age of 23. I guess that's quite old for a gymnast, isn't it? It was at the time, um, whereas now gymnastics is, it's dramatically changed. You get a lot more um, gymnasts in their 20s, which is amazing for our sport. It creates role and models for younger children. And I think when I was a youngster, I wanted everything yesterday. You were probably the same. You wanted the result there and then. Whereas it's okay to take time. It's okay for it to not work out on the first attempt, second attempt, whatever. It took me 20 years from when I first started gymnastics to achieve that Olympic medal. And it was all the more sweeter standing in London, having been through what I did in Beijing, to stand on that podium in London with your family around you, your friends around you, your coach, your support network and go, do you know what, I've done it. All the kind of ups and downs throughout your career. I mean, I picked up an injury 100 days prior to London, so I wasn't even sure I was going to be competing. Um, So, yeah. But in hindsight, I think that injury was the best thing that happened to me because it took the pressure off um, completely because it went from what colour medal am I going to take home to am I even going to get selected to go so it changed my mindset completely because it was just a case of right let's take one step at a time let's learn how to walk again having had surgery on my knee let's get back in the gym let's get swinging on the bars and eventually kind of taking those stepping to stepping stones to to get that selection letter this is great Beth what you're talking about now is something that I was discussing the other day just a few days ago with a colleague, which is pressing the reset button. I think so many times in our lives, in our work, we're so afraid to press the reset button, to stop, to start again, to reconfigure, to work out what we need to do next, and, and even to work out whether we're still on the right path. So when you hit that moment, did you hit the reset button? What did that look like? And, and how did you move forward from that failure? It, it's going back to that understanding what the individual needed at the time and for me I I went on holiday I just kind of totally zoned away from gymnastics and I think everyone else around me knew I would go back in the gym um but they they knew that I needed that time just to kind of process it all um so I was on holiday I kind of said to my best friend I can't give up on it and she kind of looked at me and laughed and um, she said, yeah, we knew that. We just kind of needed you to to come round to that. So I spoke to my coach and that was it. I went back in the gym. Uh, Beijing was put behind us. We, we never discussed, discussed it in depth at all. 
Um, I didn't see a psychologist about it. For me, it was done. It was dusted. It took me a little bit longer to process than every other result I'd ever had. Um, but it was the best decision of my life because the next four years were my most successful four years. And ultimately, the reason I continued, I still loved gymnastics. Every day I got up and loved what I did. Um, so I think that in itself was the biggest healer, just going back to remembering. So it was worth the it. sacrifice, worth the pain. At Too Simple, we know that school improvement planning and self-evaluation can be pretty time-consuming. So we've teamed up with former Ofsted inspector Clive Davies, OBE, to support you through the process with Inspection Coach and Improvement Hub. Inspection Coach and Improvement Hub blend together seamlessly, dramatically reducing the time and effort involved in self-evaluation and improvement planning, taking the pressure off you and your team. Inspection Coach is your virtual inspector, guiding you through the entire inspection process from making judgments to success criteria and attaching evidence. And during self-evaluation, Improvement Hub suggests one of thousands of improvement plan actions written by our inspection team, specifically targeted to meet key elements of the latest Ofsted framework. Book your demo today at twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple. Definitely, because failure is not a bad thing. Ultimately, it doesn't define who you are. Um, I think what defines you is how you pick yourself back up from it. Um, because everyone fails. You can't be perfect in every step of your life. I think if you speak to every elite athlete, every top CEO, every every person, they will tell you about a time in their life where things didn't go right. And I, I quite when you're talking to young children and they can't quite grasp that failure, you I, I talk about babies, like when they're learning to walk, when they're picking themselves up and they're flopping on their knees, they're falling over, they, they don't care, they get back up and have another go. And ultimately that's how we learn to walk. And now you just kind of you just do that. Um so I think you you're saying to children, look, when you were a baby, you just kept getting up, you kept going, you kept going, you didn't let anything get in your way, you were determined to walk. People quite often don't see it's like that iceberg effect, isn't it? They just see your success, but all this stuff, I didn't even know how you felt after. I never knew you took it so badly. I never knew you considered leaving the sport. That's crazy for me to think you finished fourth in the Olympics and then you're thinking of leaving and quitting. You're right. They see all these top athletes or top people in their positions, but ultimately they've got a story there as well. They've had their ups and downs to, to get to that position. They don't always highlight them. But I'm I'm quite happy to to highlight the fact that I I had times where results didn't go to point. But again, it, it's just not a bad thing, and that's the one thing I love to get kind of through to them is failures. Like mistakes are our friends. If if you make mistakes, it, it's not a bad thing at all. And not even just children, Beth. You know, we all need to hear it sometimes. <laughs> So Beth, the purpose of this podcast, the Olympic Mindset podcast, is to unpick these kind of these life lessons and these opportunities that we can develop from. So looking back across your career, are there any moments that really stand out to you as a particular moment of growth? Yeah, I think it was it, Beijing was the biggest one. And then academically, um, 
at the same time as preparing for the world champs in 2003 I was doing my A-levels and all of my friends were kind of a star a student so when I got my results I was so disappointed it was like a D and an E um but my parents sat me down and were trying to explain look you're not only trying to achieve academically you're trying to achieve on a, a, a sporting side as well um and it was only later that I kind of realized by doing both of those the skill sets that it it kind of allowed me to learn time management, prioritizing um, that teamwork element, the uh, time management of being able to combine. I mean, I did my university finals the week after I'd been at European Championships. So I literally did my European floor final, picked up a silver medal, hopped it to the airport, got on a plane, and then at nine o'clock the next morning, I did my first university final it taught me so many skills and I think looking at the time you don't take it in because you just kind of you just go with it um but it's only now that I look back and think how did I fit everything in um but it was down to all of those skills and the kind of mindset to pick yourself back up if it didn't go right or pull yourself back down if you're getting a bit giddy yeah that's that's really funny I like that one if you get too giddy bring yourself back down I think you know just segueing slightly having spoken to a lot of different people in the in the making of this podcast humility does seem to be quite a key concept for successful people um I do want to talk to you for a second about goal setting if that's okay so I read somewhere a while ago that you're 42% more likely to achieve a goal if you've written it down I don't know who measured that or how before you ask (laughs) um so yeah, what was your relationship with goal setting? How did you go about setting goals and, and how did you go about measuring them and moving forward? Having... Yeah, I mean, I, I was never one to have kind of sit down sessions and write goals. We Myself and my coach always kind of knew what our sort of short term, we were going Europeans, world championships. And obviously with an Olympic sport, it's kind of every four years you have a cycle for the Olympics. So I always kind of knew that that was the ultimate goal, the Olympics at the end of the cycle, Europeans and Worlds every six months. So I guess you did the result, you you had a couple of days off, and then you were just pushing towards the next competition, enjoying the moment. I, I always go back to it. People say, why did you continue for so long? I loved what I did. So I I was never kind of processing it because I just enjoyed what I did. I was going back in the gym. I was learning something new. What routine could I put together? How could I configure it better? How could I make this better, that better? But it all came from within myself. I just wanted to keep progressing and developing me as a person. Another thing that kind of cracked up a lot in season one was this discussion around passion and purpose and finding the desire to go and do something. So did you always have a real passion for what you do or did it kind of evolve as you got better and got better feedback? Um. I think I always had a passion to a degree. I always was also very much a perfectionist, very stubborn. Um, And I think everything I did was because I wanted to do it better. So I was constantly, okay, I've done that. And I remember if it was a first attempt, I'd be like, okay, I want to go again. And Amanda's like, just chill like that that's great for your first attempt so I'm like yeah no but I fell off and she's like yeah but you've only just tried it 
So I, it was constantly, right, what can I do to make things better? What would you say are three features of an Olympic mindset that you've taken from sport and you've transferred into your life now as a business owner, as a mother, as a wife? What features did you take from that? The biggest one I learned, I would say more when I came out of sport and going into the business world, because I felt like I was seven years old. There was so much to learn. I didn't. Und- I remember going into my first meetings and I used to write notes. And I think everyone in the meeting thought I was just writing loads of notes. I was writing all the words down that I didn't understand. My dad was very much in the business world. So I would just phone him and be like, Dad, what does this mean? I have no idea. My dad was saying to me, why didn't you just ask in the meeting? And I was like, well, because I didn't want to look stupid. Because, like, to them, these those words were probably, like, basic business knowledge but because I had no kind of background in business my degree was in sports science um so I just and financials was just another level for me um so my dad used to spend a lot of time helping me and he eventually convinced me to kind of just ask the questions in the meeting and I realized then actually everyone's they would rather you say you don't understand something than sit there and go yeah yeah I understand it um, so I think the biggest one I'll take and give to anyone is never be afraid to ask for help. I was never afraid to ask for help in gymnastics. Um, but for some reason, when I first went into that business world, I think because I was a lot older, I was 28, 29 when I started attending board meetings and stuff. I'm thinking this is basic business knowledge. Like I shouldn't be asking that sort of question. Um, but that is the biggest bit of advice. Never be scared to ask for help. Um, always use your team around you and use your team around you to their best abilities. Don't be trying to put someone in a position because you feel that's the best and best position for them. It's what works to their strengths. So if they're really creative, then allow them to go and do that creative side. Don't pinhole them into something else. Um, so use your team, ask for help and yeah, just don't give up on it. If you if you've got that dream, you've got that passion, there will be a roller coaster. Don't get me wrong; there'll be ups and downs. But if you're willing to kind of work hard at it, you you will get there eventually. This episode of the Olympic Mindset is sponsored by Hue, makers of colourful, affordable visualizers and animation kits, perfect for creative teaching, homeschooling, and remote working. Described by many teachers as a complete game changer, Hue's high quality USB document cameras have won awards worldwide and they are also STEM.org authenticated. Hue cameras make it quick and easy to share work, record lessons or save time and money by not having to photocopy. The manual focus and flexible neck means that you can show even the smallest objects and nobody misses out because they can't see. Follow at Hue Cameras on social media for news, fun and giveaways. And for a limited time offer of 10% discount, please enter the code OLYMPIC10 at the HueHD.com shop. So we spoke to John Pett um, in season one, who is the former chief of British paracycling. So during that period, they had a lot of success. John was the main guy there. Um, and John was interestingly talking to me about empathy driven leadership, which is kind of what you're talking about there, which is putting together the jigsaw of all these different people and letting them be the best they can be. And we had a lot of feedback from that podcast, lots of people reaching out on social media, 
And one of the points that was raised was that's all very well and good if you're surrounded by high caliber people that are kind of self-motivated because they can have the freedom to do that. But what do you do, you know, talking to you now, Beth, what do you do? Because it sounds like you apply a similar principle. What do you do if you have somebody that maybe isn't kind of working at that level? Are you more flexible with the way you approach it or do you always allow the people to work in their positions and give them that freedom yeah I think you've just got to work work out what's best for you again it's working out what works for the business what works for that individual because ultimately for that individual to continue enjoying their job giving you the best of themselves they won't do that if they're not enjoying it So unless you are creating that supportive environment for that individual to thrive, ultimately, they're not going to give you the best of themselves. So sometimes it's taking a step backwards to be able to take a step forward. So whether it's taking a step back, allowing them time to do their training, to get them additional support, um, because ultimately, you don't want them to leave if they're a great person and they fit the culture of the business, the technical side, usually you can teach them. So if you've got a great person that fits the culture of your business and they need more support on the kind of understanding the business element, there's so many courses and things out there to help them with that. Um, so yeah, it's it's looking after that individual and what's work, working for them. So would you choose kind of, attitude and fit to culture over performance to start with a hundred percent okay so culture is obviously really important to you then yeah and we yeah because it goes back to that teamwork if you've got people that don't fit the values of your business they don't fit all of that element then it's going to create a rift within the team anyway um so yeah definitely making sure that they fit the culture, they understand the values, they understand the vision, what is it that everyone in that team is trying to create so that they work as a team work. Don't get me wrong, everyone needs help at some some point. Of course they do. And that's why you then create the support mechanism, whether it's extra training or flexible working or whatever it is that that individual needs. Do you ever have a line with what you're being asked for because flexible learning is a little bit harder to achieve in in schools and education settings and some business settings so for example um we had somebody that was struggling with well-being a while back and they asked for flexible working where that's really hard to achieve because ultimately they're paid to be with the kids obviously if they're not with the children then you know who's going to be with them and where does that money come from do you ever have similar challenges in your kind of environment where you've had a request for something and you've struggled to meet that and then where's the negotiation? Um, I mean, ultimately, I don't deal with the day-to-day management or line management of individuals. So it's creating that rapport between the line manager and the individual and then looking at what it is they're asking. Does it work for the business? And it's a case of not just saying no. Um, It's a case of then looking at it, working with the individual and if it's not possible, then talking with that individual and making them understand why it's not possible for the business to accommodate that. Ultimately, if a, a school teacher, I'm going to use that as an example, um, because obviously that's your kind of background. Um, if a school teacher says, I want to work, I don't know, 
five o'clock in the evening till midnight, well, that's not going to work because the children are in school half eight till half three. Um, so then you'd be able to explain, well, the children are at school at this time, so that's why we can't allow those hours. Um, so I think it's creating that rapport with the line manager and the individual and then understanding what their request is and if it doesn't work for you, the business, the individual, allowing them to understand why so that they don't just think mm. you're saying no because ultimately then they're like, well, they don't care about me as an individual. Yeah, I think the explanation's just as important as the result sometimes. It's interesting that you said that, that you, I don't directly deal with them, but you do because you establish the culture by hiring the people you hire and by setting the direction of travel for the organisation. So obviously we're starting to tap into the kind of management aspects of your role now, Beth, and we've been talking about your journey in sport a lot. So what do you see as the next part of your journey as the manager and, and how are you going to get that across to the team? How do you get them on board? Yeah, so I I do vision sessions with my team. I did one quite recently, went in and kind of, why are we doing what we're doing? Here's our vision, here's our mission, here's our plan going forward. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I haven't had it been told otherwise, it was received um, well because then they're getting that update and we we try and do that kind of every quarter so that they're knowing that everything is still on track um for them and ultimately for them to I, I obviously always have the overview I know exactly what's happening um and I want them to understand I appreciate the work they're doing because ultimately they're the ones on the ground day to day uh creating all of that hard work working with the children um to get the best out of the children in in the gym in the school wherever it is that we're teaching gymnastics i spoke to a friend the other day and he told me he's never set a vision with his staff he's never established those things they they've set up a series of values and he tells the staff what he expects to see from them what would you say to him that you know he hasn't found time to to establish a vision and to share it with the staff I guess it's difficult to understand what the scenario is for him, why he hasn't done it. Does he need it? Um, for me, I feel that we do need it because we have got people spread out everywhere. And ultimately, I know what the vision is and the senior leadership team. But if that's not filtering down, they may feel, well, where's this business going? Or where do I fit into that chain? How can I progress within the business? What's, what's my career pathway in it? Um, so I think it's it's creating that vision so that everyone can see where we're moving to, where we're going, where we were, um, get people on the same page. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think sometimes it can be really hard to work in an environment, particularly under pressure, under stress, if you don't know where you're going and, and taking that back now to sport. So you've obviously alluded to your coach, Amanda, really tailoring your kind of the work to you to allow you to get to the level that, that you got to. Were there any things in Amanda that you saw from that young age that you've taken now into leadership and life as you've moved forward? I think the biggest thing I learned from Amanda was treating every person as an individual. Um, where she took time to understand who I was, what made me kind of work best, um, what challenged me, what didn't work for me. Um, and I think that is the best thing is understanding each person as an individual, whether that's your line manager or kind of across across the company, is um, 
is really, really important because everyone has different scenarios. Everyone has different motivations for walking through the, de- the door the, in the morning, the afternoon, whenever they go to work. What is their motivation for doing that job? No, that's a really good point. I think tapping into the motivation of people is something quite often we, we don't manage to do very well. And again, now, you know, talking about your your transition and your motivators, you're now doing an awful lot of presenting work. Congratulations on the coverage you've just done for the Commonwealth Games, by the way. How did that come about? I kind of fell into it, really. I mean, I when I wasn't making finals, when I was competing, the BBC, if they were covering it, they'd kind of asked me to come up and do a little bit. And I, I just really enjoyed it. And I guess I was just lucky that I fell into it when our sport is producing results as well so obviously we cover every major tournament um so we always have a kind of studio section which is really nice matt baker who was a national junior team member himself so he's really passionate about it so do you know i've I've been so lucky to work with great people um that i've also then learned a lot from and been able to make my my kind of presence better um, I mean, to work with the likes of Matt Baker that's been on Blue Peter, he's done the one show, he's he's now got all his own shows with his family, then to be working with kind of Hazel and Gabby and Claire, it's, it's just unbelievable. And to see what they're doing day to day when a live show is going and having kind of talk back in your ear and what's going on behind the scenes to create that show in front of you, is uh, it's fantastic for me to learn it on the job. Did Matt or Gabby give you any good advice to start you off? Just be relaxed, I think. It's kind of, um, Matt always just says, just forget the cameras and just act like we're having a conversation. And I think because I got to know him off the kind of camera side and you would just have chats, it kind of made it easier once you went into the studio and you've got all the microphones, the cameras to just kind of continue that and have that that relationship of just talking as if you were friends. Had to do it when you've been working with somebody you maybe don't know as well, so you found it more difficult? Um, I think so, yes, but I've done it later in my career, so I already kind of had the skill set to just chat to them. And ultimately, what I'm trying to do is break gymnastics down for your everyday viewer who doesn't normally watch gymnastics it can be a little bit complicated and the scoring uh, can be a little bit complicated so it's it's breaking it down so that they can understand gymnastics and ultimately it's the sport I love. So what what are your plans next then with presenting with running the business with all the different things you're doing what's the next step for Beth Tweddle? Um, so I'll be covering the Europeans. We're really lucky. We've also got the World Championships in Liverpool um, in October, November. So I'll be doing the coverage with the BBC for that as well. Um, and then with my business, it's every day is the same goal, creating more opportunities for children to get involved in gymnastics, whether that's in an after school environment or a school's environment. A couple of quick fire questions for you now, Beth. The first one is, what does a good leader look like to you? Accessible, approachable, um, sets kind of standards and that vision and um, everything so that everyone knows where they're going. What do you mean by sets the standard? I think it's very easy to say 
I don't know, a, 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 whether it's a code of conduct or, I don't know, you have to be in the office so many days a week. Every business works different, especially post-COVID. But if someone's saying, right, it's a nine till five and we're in the office four days a week and your leader only turns up one day a week and does one till three, well, people will be thinking, well, if they're doing it, why aren't I kind of thing? How everyone feeds off that person um, if they are approachable and they're happy to answer questions, then the younger team members will also see, do you know what? People are going to the CEO and asking questions. Well, of course I can go to my line manager and ask questions. Well, it's similar with time management, isn't it? I used to work for a, for a boss. Um, he was former military man, so very much about kind of standards and timings and he was never late and he was always there late. So it was really easy for him to set that kind of culture of everybody working hard, being in early. And then I've worked for other people that maybe don't turn up on time, quite often rushing in late, missing schedules. And then when they say the same thing, it was it was a little bit harder for that person to get the respect from the team. And I was sat in an awkward position because I was his deputy. So I had to quite often be on his side, but equally the staff would come to me and say, well, you know, he's just called me in for being late and he was late on Friday and I saw him leave early on Tuesday and you're thinking, oh no, you know. And I didn't really consider it till I was in that position where I was getting the feedback and trying to support him. No, that's it. It is hard. The other one was, Beth, if you could go back and speak to a young Beth again, what advice would you give her to replicate the success you've had or maybe improve upon that? Uh, not want everything yesterday. I think it, it's okay to take time. It's okay to have the... The disappointments that that rather than a, a straight line up, it, it's okay to have that wavy curve on the way up because you will have ups and downs, but that's what teaches you things. Learning from your mistakes and moving forward from that point, and then the the two two more questions I've thought of as we're speaking. That the first one is advice to any young budding gymnasts. You know, how do they replicate your success? How do they move forward? Are there any tips you can give to them? I think for me, and it's not just for budding gymnasts, it's for anyone that is wanting to succeed, whether it's in a career or a sport or music, is enjoy it. If you enjoy it, you're more likely to give 100% to it. And then to any former athletes listening to this that maybe want to get into media work, have you got any advice there other than be lucky? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just reach out. Um, whether it's through work experience or speaking to other athletes that already do it and kind of trying to um, obviously get that shot at having a go at it. There's so many things now with podcasts, with YouTube. There's so many ways of kind of um, showcasing yourself, whereas obviously 10, 15 years ago that there wasn't those opportunities. Just reflecting really quickly on some of the stories you've shared with us today, it does sound like you're very good at dealing with pressure. So I guess what I would ask is, what did that pressure feel like, the weight of the nation? There was a lot of expectation upon you for 2012, let's be honest. How did that pressure feel and how did you deal with it? I just tried, my coach and my support network, I always go back to them. They did a very good job at trying to hold me away from that limelight. So whether it was how I did media days, we did one media day, end of, um, and then there was no other media leading into an event. or So it was just controlling the environment and then I could only do what I could do. 
And I, I, I couldn't worry about the expectation of the nation because, to be honest, the expectation for myself was probably far bigger than what it was from the nation because I, I, that's what I needed, that's what I wanted, and that's the one thing that was missing from my career. Beth, it's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, you know, I'm going to let you now go and, go and see your kids and bring them <laughs> back from the park. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's leading learning company. Beth gave us some wonderful insight into the world of sport, business and life. Now, at the end of today's episode, we do have a chat with a very special guest. You may or may not know that Beth Tweddle actually has completed her MSc and she did so with a company called VSI. I happen to know the owner of VSI and he is a former professional footballer. He played for Manchester City Football Club and Tony managed to reinvent himself after his career and create this amazing organisation that allows ex-athletes and executive leaders to work together on high-level, high-caliber executive leadership courses. So we're going to have a quick chat with Tony today, hear a little about himself, a little about the organization, and if you are looking to apply the Olympic mindset and develop yourselves further, then get in touch with VSI. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed my brief chat with Tony, and see you next time. Tony, how are you? Hi, Dom. I'm great. How are you? Great. Thank you, mate. So um, first of all, tell us, who are you? So uh, I am the, the co-founder and managing director of VSI. Um, we design and deliver executive education programs in the world of sport. We've been doing this now for going on 10 years with my co-founder in the business, Andrew McIntyre. My background is in the world of, of sport and business. So I was a former professional footballer, had to retire early at 21, smashed my back to pieces, had seven operations on it. That led me into university where I trained as a physiotherapist, didn't like it, didn't want to be rubbing footballers' legs for the rest of my life, then became a psychologist and then moved into a couple of performance director roles, most notably at uh, Blackburn Rovers and, and, and Manchester City. Um, and in 2012, we then set up VSI after me engaging in multiple rounds of research with high performing sports organizations and businesses actually all over the globe. And most notably, we deliver the MSc in Sports Directorship Program, which back in 2012 was the very first program of its kind in the world, 2014, sorry. And we also, alongside that, run um, the CEO of a sports organization program where we get delegates in CEO roles, COO roles, managers, owners of clubs, et cetera, et cetera, that join the program to continue their professional development. So in essence, Dom, that's that's me and that's VSI. Amazing, mate. And to be honest with you, Tony, um, listening to you talk there and knowing a little about your background, you should be one of our guests, not just uh, joining us as a partner. And that's what this is. You know, VSI have joined us as partners. They're a fantastic organisation and we're very excited to work alongside you going forward. But ultimately, you know, you practice what you preach, Tony. You've literally applied the Olympic mindset to your life and created this whole new organization to benefit anybody working in executive leadership so you know credit to you and credit to the team you work with so what's coming up next for VSI? This January actually we launch a a new program so we are taking the MSc in sports directorship online 
because it's online, it allows that level of flexibility. So it's going to be a unique program from that perspective. We look at our individuals that join the programs as delegates because they are senior people that are operating in the world of, of sport. And we know what their level of expectation is. I've worked in professional sport for, for just under 20 years. Amazing, exciting times. And just before we go, you know, a list of delegates. There's some very, very impressive former alumni of the of the programme. Yeah, so um, you, you, you're obviously speaking with Beth Tweddle uh, today. So, so Beth is a graduate from um, the MSc in Sports Directorship programme. On her programme, we also had Kelly Southerton and, and Goldie Sayers, two more Olympic medal winning athletes. We've had Rebecca Adlington, obviously the, the two-time gold winner. In the world of professional football, we've had Julian Lescott, Manchester City, England international, Nicky Butt, Manchester United, England international. We've had Sean Wayne who is the England Rugby League manager. We've had chief executives of clubs. We've had managing directors of clubs. Uh, we've had international rugby union players. We've had Ashley Giles, international cricket player and former sporting director for the ECB. The list goes on. Exactly. Some amazing delegates. And now me. <laughs> and now you. So you'll be joining us uh, next month. We're looking forward to getting you involved. Uh, we're excited about the relationship that we're developing. Um, you know, we want to add a great deal of value to you through the program that you're going to go on and the people that you're going to meet. And obviously, we'll reciprocate with um, the, the, the you know the really exciting podcast and the very interesting guests that you, you get on this. So hopefully, Dom, it's uh, it, it's it's a great opportunity for both of us moving forward. Definitely, Tony. I'm really excited to join you on the course. Obviously, the title of the podcast is the Olympic Mindset Podcast. I believe that you kind of, you know, you embody that. Everything you've done after football, most people, when they fail in sport or fail in business, struggle to come back from that. And we've been unpicking these kind of traits through the series. And obviously, you've managed to create this unbelievable organization so credit to you and um, I'm excited to join and kind of learn from yourself and learn alongside those people so anybody wishing to join me on the CEO program or one of the MSc programs what would they do Tony? They can get in touch with with VSI directly info at vsiee.com put in place what we call discovery calls those discovery calls will be with the two VSI founders. So that's myself and Andrew McIntyre. And we get to know the person before to make sure that we feel that we can support them to the very best of our ability. And also we feel we need to know that they are, are going to be able to both support and challenge the other delegates that are on the programme. And if we get to that point, then great. We've got uh, an opportunity to discuss how they apply and how they uh, how they go through an interview process. Now that the world is more or less back to normal, we've got networking events coming up over the next couple of months as well, which are really exciting because we bring all the alumni together from across the various different programmes and, and they add great value to the delegates that are, are constantly doing business with each other, employing each other. We, we've had a couple of funds develop actually from our delegates that have actually gone off and bought football clubs. Amazing, exciting times. Thank you for joining me today, Tony. Have a great day. Thanks, Dom. Speak to you soon.